1: This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle.
2: It's the Innovation Podcast with Mark Reed Edwards and Garnett Harriman. Let's start the show.
1: Hi, it's Mark. Garnett, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Doing very well. Cold, but hanging in there.
1: Yeah, it's it's cold up here. It was minus two degrees here earlier today when I took the dog out. And I, I guess you haven't taken your dog out yet, have you?
2: No, I'm waiting it out till it, till it crests around 20 degrees and then I can, uh, I can take my Caribbean self uh, outside to, <laughs> to, 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 brave the weather.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we're not here just to talk about the weather. We've got a great guest. Who do we have with us today?
2: We have Panosh Mutafis, who is the uh, founder and or co-founder. He's a, he's a very humble guy. I think he calls himself co-founder. <laughs> And, and CEO of one of the coolest companies I've seen in the last year and a half, probably, a biometrics company called Xenus Biometrics. Panash wants to maybe say a couple of quick words by way of introduction first. Um, Panash, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about yourself, and then I'll, I'll launch into the questions.
0: Sure. First of all, I wanted to thank you for having me and uh, for the very kind introduction. You're welcome. <laughs> so... Uh, as somebody might guess it from my name and my accent, uh, I was born and raised in Greece, in Athens, and I moved to Texas, and Houston, about seven, seven and a half years ago. And since then, I have been working in facial recognition technologies. First, I did my PhD there, and upon graduation, uh, we founded Zenus.
2: Uh, let me let me start from the beginning. What what is the origin story or the backstory <laughs> about Zenus and how it came to be? And, um, you know, who the cast of characters are and mm-hmm. what, what was the, uh, and what
0: the company mission and philosophy? So uh, the company was founded, legally speaking, with a different name in October 2015. I graduated from the University of Houston in December 2015 and spent most of 2016 putting together the team, recruiting, speaking to investors, validating the model and so forth. So we started working together as a team. It was four of us, myself, EC, Raksa Thalvar, and Rick Gentry. So we had a team of four. We started working in Q4 2016, and we released the first version of the product in spring 2017 and did the first deployment in July 2017. So one of the things that we knew was that face recognition is very powerful. It has many applications. But it is very, very important to focus on one segment, on one use case, and make this perfect. Because even though the technology is uh, very, very simple and simple, you know, you just upload the photo, you enroll, uh, and then you get a match. Uh, in practice, deploying something that is quite new uh, when it comes to commercialization and uh, implementing it at scale globally, it has a unique set of challenges. So by focusing on one industry, one application, we knew we would have a very strong advantage on how we approach the sales approach, the the implementation, deployment, and so forth. So we were exploring different vertical markets and different applications. And the one that stood out was the events industry. You know, it can be a conference, exhibition, and so forth. So while we were waiting in line to go to a concert, uh, one of the co-founders said, well, why don't we use it to speed up the checking process? And then we started sending out emails to registration companies, ticketing platforms, event planners, and we had an amazing response rate. We had, uh, to call emails, a response rate of 30%. Why? Because this was an industry thirsty for innovation, thirsty for new technologies. It's all about making the life of the attendee easier, faster, more secure. So this was a very, very good match. Uh, and for the last part, uh, as a company, we have three values. The first one is respecting the end user's privacy. And we have turned down a lot of business and we have missed a lot of opportunities just to be true to this value. The second one is to do things right. And this is both internally in our processes, but also externally on how we approach things. And the last value, uh, the third value of the company is brutal honesty, radical honesty. So we are being very, very direct, both externally with our partners and clients, also internally in the team, because we feel that this is the best strategy. You know, sometimes people, they might not say the full truth or they might not express certain things because they're afraid of how this will impact others and themselves. But in, in our experience, it is always much, much better to be very open about everything and discussing anything that you might have in your mind. And, you know, one of my friends said, You know, he really liked our values because he said each of them comes with a cost and values are supposed to be like that. You should have a cost when you are implementing them properly because otherwise they're not values, they're hobbies.
2: I really like what you just said, especially around values one and three. My facetious concern is that are you going to protect people's data and still be radically honest? I <laughs> think watching Facebook and Google and the rest of them, you kind of have to
0: lie a little bit in order to make money from people's data. <laughs> uh, so it depends on your business model. And this is what we have done very, very well. So our go to market approach is we're wor- working with existing registration companies, existing ticketing companies. And the way we work is the following they're getting their hands on, you know, when a person registers, they're collecting the first name last name, email address, plus the photo. What they are sending to us is just the picture with the attendee ID. We never get uh, our hands on the people's names, email addresses and so forth. we just get a picture with the attendee ID. We are processing the picture to extract the facial geometry and the picture is immediately deleted. So what we store is the face print plus the attendee ID. So when somebody tries to check in, we just return a match to the registration company, the attendee ID, and they find the name that this corresponds to, and then they can do the check-in process. And our system, uh, seven days after the event is over, is automatically deleting all the biometric data, including backups. So we completely wipe out the uh, database. So it is a very, very clean process. And even though it is a clean process, we are still always making this an opt-in so you have the option of providing your picture. You're not necessarily required to do that.
2: Very interesting. And um, is the comprehensive data protection process that you have, is, is that something that's super desirable for the, uh, for the events industry, for the, you're the partners that you, you license this out to? Or it uh, mm-hmm. must come
0: up, right? So it really depends on the company, especially when you work with, with some of the biggest uh, companies. So we did a deployment last month with a Fortune 100 company. And so forth. They care more. Some of the smallest event planners sometimes they do not uh, are so sensitive with respect to the way data is being handled. but uh, This is where it is part of being faithful to your values and making sure that you educate them. You tell them how things should be done and help them deploy in the right way. You know, when we were starting the company and we were said we will focus on the events industry, my biggest concern was: Will people opt in? Will they submit their photo? And we were expecting, you know, an uptake of 10 to 20% of the people. But what we have seen, especially the events that there are, you know, 2,000 people and above, we see opt-in rates of about 50 to 70%. Wow. So we're doing an event. Uh, we did, yeah, we did an event with uh, Keller Williams in August, 9,000 people. 6,000 of them provided their picture. Oh. And right now, in 10 days, we're doing another event with 16,000 people or 17,000 people. And we're expecting the same level of opt-in, about two to three people who submitted photo. That's great.
2: Hey, going back to the origin story of Zenus just a little bit, you are yeah. based in mm-hmm. Houston. Houston is what I would consider mm-hmm. part of this new generation of startup hubs. But historically... You know, let's say over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, or 15, 20 years ago, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. Houston wasn't always known as a startup or a high tech hub. It was always known for the oil and the energy industry. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious whether being in Houston helped or in any ways hurt your startup prospects or maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit of both.
0: Uh, it's a, I think it's a little bit of both. And this happens no matter where you are in the world. You know, there are always advantages and disadvantages. And if I may as an entrepreneur, first, you have to make both decisions. That's one. But second, you have to learn how to take adversity and turn it into an advantage. So speaking about Houston, we see more and more VCs opening up a branch here, you know, having a venture associate permanently, full-time in Houston. That's great. Uh, yesterday, Station, yep, station Houston uh, which is, uh, a co-working space incubator. Uh, they had their third year anniversary and it was a very, very big event where we participated. And there are many more, you know, such as, uh, the Canon and a few other spaces that they are starting to open up. You know, we have way work, and we get more and more people coming over. Now, the advantage with Houston is, is I think it's the fourth largest metropolis in the US. There's lots of people. The cost of living is very good. There's a lot of talent. And because on the one hand, you know, talent, a lot of people, uh, they are in Houston, they're just hard to find most of the times. And when you are a startup and you're doing something exciting, it's much, much easier to recruit these people and get them on board and get, you know, this high level of energy. On the other hand, it is true that we don't have yet the second or third generation of entrepreneurs to get, you know, the advice, executives and so forth. So it, it really depends on how you are going to see it. Uh, there's always advantages and disadvantages, but if you want to get started, especially for the seed stage, you know, angel rounds, uh, I think there's plenty of investors here willing to take a risk and there's good talent again, likewise that they're willing to take a risk. And if I add one last thing, uh, you get a lot of diversity. So in our team, we have people from virtually all over the, w- the world, including myself. You know, we have all ethnic backgrounds. And when we launch the new website and we have the new team members, you are going to see that we have a very, very diverse and nice team.
2: Very cool. Panos, how do you define machine vision? I've heard multiple creators and inventors and startup CEOs define it differently.
0: If I may, I will start with the definition of machine learning, uh, which is part of AI, artificial intelligence. And uh, I apologize in advance, I'm going to be a little bit technical, but it's hard to resist. Machine learning is defined in the following way. We have a task T that we want to perform, and this can be, for example, face recognition. We have a way to measure the performance P, and then we have experience E. So essentially what you want to do is the more experience you get at doing the task T is you want to get better and better performance. So for example, uh, in face recognition, you can say the more data points you have, you know, the more faces you have to train the system, the better it performs at distinguishing individuals. So that's machine learning. In our days, when you do this in a narrow problem, it can perform very, very well, often uh, surpassing the performance of humans. In many cases, our system is much, much better than us at identifying people. It's it's really like mind-blowing. So
2: putting aside the data privacy issue, Uh Is it true or not true that the core zenith facial recognition technology, I'm simplifying as much as I can because I'm a layman, right, Uh is improved Uh by being implemented with larger volumes of faces? Or is it not true? It it has no effect whatsoever. The the high volume of faces that are being processed.
0: Uh, At least for the time being, no. We don't. We don't make a difference on that. Okay. Uh, And I can't disclose more details, but I can say that we are not using people's data to train at the moment. No, we don't.
2: And so, how does that core recognition technology get better over time? How how is it that you you get to being the best in the world at something, whatever Mm -hmm. you know, some aspect of facial recognition or or all aspects of facial recognition? Mm -hmm. How, How does that process of Improving the technology
0: on both? Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with face recognition is that it's not a single thing that you have to do better. It has many components. It's like a pipeline, it's multiple algorithms, all of them working together. What is it that your technology
2: does that's uh, within that universe better than any other technology or company in the world?
0: Mm-hmm. So, what I would say is a combination of three things accuracy, speed, and also pricing point and reliability on scale. So for example, we released uh, an update to our system a few months ago. We can search a database with 100,000 faces in 0.6 seconds, something like that. It is very, very reliable. It is very, very fast. And you can do it at a price point, which makes sense for the event planner. And this, this is, you know, a lot of these things have to do with the software architecture it has to do with machine learning components. It has to do with the user interface, the user flow, uh, and other things that we have done internally to make sure that we can get all of these performance gains over over other facial recognition providers.
2: Very interesting. Hey, um, I want to take a quick segue away from mm-hmm. theoretical and and, <laughs> and arcane aspects of the technology into something a little bit more concrete. Can, can you just give the, uh, our, our audience members who haven't experienced facial recognition check-in just, just mm-hmm. a verbal workflow or, or process flow of how, yeah. how,
0: it, how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a person registers for an event the same way they usually do. You know, they go to their website, they say buy ticket or registration, put their first name, last name, email address, and all the information. And then the website is going to say, would you like to opt in for face recognition? If they say yes, then they have the option of uploading a picture or taking a selfie. Either is fine. And the system will take the picture. It will validate the quality. If, you know, the quality is not good, if you have multiple faces, whatever, the system will give real-time feedback to you. And once you have provided a good headshot, a good face, Then you have to accept the terms and conditions, the privacy statement, and so forth, uh, where we explain that we don't keep the images, that we delete the biometric data, and so forth. You click submit, and that's it. So a lot of the events, they already collect pictures, so it's not very, very different. The process is not something completely new. And assuming this is done on on the event day, we have iterated on the workflow many times, and the one we have found it to be the best is the following. We have, let's say, 10 stations where people can go and check in. And each station has a camera attached to it or it's a tablet and so forth. So the camera is on. If me, Panos, has uh, you know, uh, provided the picture, when I approach the station, while I'm still walking to the station, it will recognize me and will have a pop-up and it will say, are you Panos? And if I say yes, I go in or the badge is printed. That's one workflow that we see a lot in conferences, exhibitions, and so forth. If I didn't provide the picture and I approached wow. the station, it would say, we couldn't find you in the database. Do you want to do a name search? Do you want to do an email search? Or do you want to do a QR code, sketch? whatever you want? So no matter what you do, it's only making the process faster because people, they don't have to read instructions. You know, sometimes they have instructions, options, so forth. It just do all the work for you. And this is where the speed up. You know, a lot of the times, as even myself, when we got started, I was saying the QR codes are fast enough. But the problem is not scanning the QR code. The problem is that sometimes the phone might rotate. It happens to me all the time. Or you might not be able to find the the code. Or you have to read the instructions. And all of these things, they might add 5, 10, 20 seconds to the process.
2: In some cases,
0: they have ID checks on top of that and it makes the process even longer. So if you have an event with 10,000 people, this really, really blows up and creates a logistics problem. But if you take the human interaction out of it, And you don't have to do anything, and you recognize, and you go in. This makes the flow so much faster and so much better from an experience point of view that has a very, very big impact. And that's the check-in.
2: If you've recovered from COVID-19
0: or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today.
2: So... Just because I'm I'm much more of a pessimist than, uh-huh. than than Mark is, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a couple of, like what, what and I, I have far less, I have far less faith in humans than Mark does. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I'm yeah. gonna ask you a couple of what ifs about the technology. Absolutely, right? Yeah. So what <laughs> what 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 if mm-hmm. some uh, attendant... I almost said idiot, but that's not, that's not a nice thing to say on, on the podcast, but some, some, you know, would be a, a attendance, uh, attendee at a conference mm-hmm. or, or a trade show decides that they want to register for the trade show on a Thursday mm-hmm. and, and, and they're all into throwback Thursday and, and they submit a picture of themselves as a 10 year old or a 15 year old or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what happened with that, when that, uh, Maybe they really would be an idiot for doing that, but what happens when they show up at the conference?
0: So there are two cases, and this is uh, unfortunately it depends. <laughs> it depends. So either either the system will say no match, or it will give the right match. So these are the two cases. Uh, usually, you know, if you have
2: wait, wait a second, wait a second. Well, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what the system would do in that in that case. Is your system no. th- that? that good that it can recognize my my image longitudinally over the course of a lifetime it, no, it, could. Not that it, good, right? it actually
0: could we have done tests with ourselves where we gave our pictures from when no, we were very I, young and it could it depends on the size of the database quality of images and so forth but in many cases it does as i mentioned earlier in many cases the system is so much better than us and identifying faces that it's really blowing my mind i've been working on this for so many years. But the technology is is wow. so fast and yes.
2: So so like me as a pimply teenager and me as like a, a suave fifty year old, your your system your system could recognize that? It could. We haven't wow. done extensive
0: tests on the accuracy for this big age difference. But in most cases, if you submit a picture within five years, ten years, it should be good enough. And in
2: any case, you said the failsafe is: I get there, it says no match, and and I, I, either I take a selfie or your or your system takes a selfie, and then I, I or I present ID, and then I get pushed
0: through. Right? Yeah, you do name check, QR code, whatever. Yeah, all the existing methods of checking in—they're still there.
2: Okay, fair enough. Um, very, very interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. I I've read in more than one place. Um, some of it comes from your own, you know, your own mm-hmm. company propaganda. But uh, <laughs> I've read that you are the fast, <laughs> the fastest uh, facial recognition check-in anywhere in the world, and mm-hmm. and I, I'm you know, again because I have because I'm more skeptical <laughs> than, than most people. <laughs> my my day, my day job. Uh, my day job is to be the voice mm-hmm. of no, so you know I, I'm inherently skeptical about everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, wh- how, how did you how did you test that? How did you mm-hmm. measure that? And 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 what, what other t- whatever types of systems mm-hmm. were measured mm-hmm. so that you you came out as you know as
0: uh, king of the king of the mm-hmm. king of the biometrics on this one? So first of all, I, I assume you mean are you referring to the ticking process, the recognition process, both, one of them? Which one do you want? One yes. Excuse me? Yeah, no, the, the check in product. Okay, right, so, right. so yeah. let, let me tell you how we have done tests. So we have done two things. Uh, and uh, the other thing that, uh, if I made the benefit of doing events, is that we are going on most of these things, especially the big ones ourselves on site, and we're able to measure the accuracy on the field. So we have people trying there and potentially doing interviews of the attendees to see did they provide a the picture. And we we'll do these tests to see what accuracy we get on the field. Because the accuracy on the benchmarks and the accuracy on the field, they are two different things. Uh, when it comes to the speed, so what we have done, uh, likewise, we had people doing timings. We had, you know, a stop clock, and we, we, we could do timings to see how fast people are going through. The other thing that we have done is uh, we have lanes, and uh, we don't do this anymore, but we were doing it in the past. We had separate lanes, one just QR code, one just face recognition. And then you could see how, people, how many people you can check in on average per hour. So these ways you can get a very good idea about what is the speed up. One of the things that I want to point out, which is very, very important is that in most cases in these B2B conferences, uh, you need to have a a host, you know, somebody standing next to the kiosk to guide people and so forth. And this is what we have found in addition to face recognition helping a lot, because they need to do less guidance on the people. If this person knows how to uh, manage the crowd effectively, you can go much, much faster. So to give you an idea about industry averages, uh, we have we have been able to take uh, in on average 400 people per hour, including the batch spinning process, the full thing. And the averages, uh, depending on what is your process, it might be from 100 to 200 people. So in many cases, we have done 2 to 5x speedups.
2: I don't know that you timed it everywhere, but I know that you have implemented and operationalized in events around the world. Mm-hmm. That's one of the surprising things about a you know a company as young as yours, mm-hmm. uh, that you essentially have a global footprint, a global client base. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, comment on that a little bit? Absolutely. So
0: we have done about in the last 12, 14 months, I think we have done almost 60 events around the world. And we have done events in, if I start from Asia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Indonesia. We have partners in Middle East, South Africa, lots of them in Europe, the U.S. Very cool. Slowly we are doing also some in Australia, so we have some bookings coming in for Australia as well. So I think it's pretty much all over the world, and that means two things. You know, we are living in a period of time that. Anybody can go online, they can reach out to you, and you can work support clients using software all over the world. It also means I'm not sleeping at night because we have to do support remotely in all time zones, and you want to make sure that people get the service they deserve. But it's really, really exciting getting this feedback from people all over the world and seeing that the adoption, we don't see one country or one region being more sensitive than the other. Everybody in the world, they actually just like technology. They think it's very, very cool, and they want to try it out. Very interesting. I'm curious, you know, you know, and, and
2: there may be no relationship between these two things, but I wonder if there's a, any relationship between the cultural and gender diversity of your company. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you literally look like a United, United Nations if you don't mind my saying <laughs> so, and your ability to project yourself as a small company around the world. Does that diversity help your global footprint, mm-hmm. or does it, is it unrelated, or?
0: Frankly, I, I can't say for sure because I don't have this input, uh, but I think it does help internally on in the way we operate because I don't know how to phrase it properly, so I'll just say how the way it comes to my mind. We argue a lot, but we argue in a way that it is constructive. So a lot of the things, the features, the approach, the go-to-market, and a lot of these things, they come out a lot, a lot of deep discussions, So we really take our time to think things through, and everybody, uh, and I mean that everybody in the team has added something very, very unique that without them, we couldn't have reached these stage. So I think it does help internally, and this then is being reflected externally as well. So we had event planners telling us, oh, we were speaking with this re- registration company, and they were telling us, yes, we know Zinus. Zinus is huge, and we are like seven people. So I do think that this is reflected one way, implicitly or explicitly, on the way we operate. Very interesting.
2: Okay, so now that I've been serious for at least a few questions, I have to tell you (laughs) uh, Uh about the devil on my shoulder that has been wanting to ask this question for some time, actually. So Mm -hmm. here's what the devil on my shoulder wants to know. When you go to places like Asia and the Middle Mm -hmm. East, and and maybe even South Africa, and you do a show, have you ever been approached by some of these states that are more prone to be surveilling their citizens. Have you ever been approached by a government or a municipality or or any kind of state organization about using your obviously very powerful facial recognition technology for uh, surveillance on citizens?
0: I'm not sure about citizens. So we we have been approached by different agencies for different applications, but to date we have not worked with any of them. And again, this goes back to the core values that I mentioned, that we want to be able to respect people's privacy.
2: I was thinking I was going to catch you in a bind on that other principle, but apparently (laughs) you're a very consistent guy.
0: (laughs) I hope so. And just just to be clear, uh, it doesn't mean that we will not work on on a security application or an access control application. If it is implemented in the right way, but we want to make sure that our technology is being used responsibly. So,
2: talk to me a little, little bit about that one, if, if you can. I, mean, I, I don't want you to, mm-hmm. I don't want you to get, get arrested by Chinese uh, security or the CIA or anything. <laughs> but is there a scenario where you you might be able to do things like I don't know criminal databases or you know recognition for anti terrorist things? Is that a potential future mm-hmm. scenario on your product
0: roadmap? I do not see this as being as part of what we're going to develop. Uh, Again, this is mostly the business decision. It's not the product development. We have the ability. We just don't. That's why we don't get people's names and email addresses and so forth, because, you know, you don't even want to have the temptation of doing something like that. So we are staying away from it as much as possible from the way we have structured the company. But I, I can tell you applications, we had some requests. We had a few requests, for example, for access control in buildings. Because you want to offer a smooth experience to people, you want to increase security, it's a private space, and so forth. Even in this case, if I may speak a little bit about privacy regulations, uh, something that most people might not be aware the state of Texas, uh, Washington, Illinois, and starting this year, California, along with Europe with the GDPR, they have protections with respect to privacy. So, the way it works, what is prohibited is taking a picture, scanning a face and converting it to face geometry. So having a camera in, you know, I don't know, on the street, on the top of the building that is scanning every single person that is going through is not allowed. People always need to have an plan B, an option to enter a building at an event or whatever without having their face scanned if they do not want to. That's the privacy regulations. And, and a lot of these applications they cannot be deployed for, for that reason. The thing is that sadly, many people, whether it's end user, providers, and so forth, they don't take the time to educate themselves about these things. And you know, some people say, "Sell fast, worry, worry later," and so forth. We are always trying to be proactive because if uh, your reputation. Gets damaged in any way is the only thing you cannot fix later on. We don't, want to, don't we want to be proactive and be ahead of the game when it comes to privacy. And we have many features in our platform that are in the same direction with that, with terms of security, retention, and so forth.
2: Okay. So I've given you lots of opportunity to be a serious, thoughtful, sophisticated <laughs> thoughtful businessman. And I, wa- I want to give you a chance now to be more of a futurist. What future, uh, and you know, long term, short term, middle term, probably long term, but what long term usage of facial recognition are you willing to make a prediction about that will just blow people's
0: minds? <laughs> Well, uh, the best prediction is that most predictions fail, so it's better to stay away from that. Uh, but, <laughs> you're, you're
2: an entrepreneur, so, you know, the goal is to fail faster,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, if, I may, if I may make a prediction, I would say that uh, phase recognition is going to go faster before it slows down. Uh, I can see regulation coming in the US on a federal level. That's my prediction. Wow. Maybe next year. But I, I do see, I do. And in my opinion, I think it is needed because you do want to make sure that this is a technology that is being implemented properly. But I do see it being expanded and being used more and more. For example, uh, from not just access control, I think where you are going to see most of the value, especially as the costs keep going down is on the service component. So this can be, for example, uh, advertisements. This can be, you know, personalization, convenience, accessing accounts online, and so forth. So I think this is where it's going to go. And, you know, many years ago, I did make, make a prediction. So I was talking about how you, you get to tie AI with UX, and these two things have to go together. You can't have just AI Technology is just for that. You can't have just user experience for, just for user experience. The combination of the personalized experience is the best. So you will go to a hospital and they will immediately have your record instead of having each time to input everything from the beginning. You will go, you, you will go to a bank and you'll be recognized and they will know what is the issue that you had. You will go, for example, to a store and they will say, Oh, hi, we know that you have come here two times. This is your preference and so forth. So we'll have to do a lot of things like that with personalization, like what we're doing with events, you know, giving people an easier, faster check-in. You will see that more and more moving forward. Uh, and again, the important thing is to implement this in a responsible way so that people will trust it. Many years ago, when we had the online payments, most people were saying, oh, I don't want to, I don't know, will I go and put my information online? They were, They're going to hack me and so forth. And when it started being implemented more and more, and and people saw that they have nothing to be afraid of for the most part, then this went widespread adoption, everybody has an online account. And I think it's going to happen something similar with basic recognition and these technologies that the more comfortable people become, the more they will spread out.
2: Well my mind is blown i don't know about you mark
0: uh, you know we've talked for a while here
1: and it feels like we could talk for the rest of the afternoon about this it's it's an amazing area and it's developing so quickly and the stuff that you're doing at Zenus is just is it's unreal
0: i appreciate it yeah i agree i think it will grow, grow very fast
1: yeah thanks for joining us panos uh,
0: thank you for having me
1: <laughs> all right great chat with Panosh. Next episode will be a brief InnoNation, a new feature we're starting, where we take a look at the innovation and entrepreneur culture of a region or city. We'll have Panosh back in to talk about Houston, where he founded Zenus. Then on our next full episode, we've got an interview with Peter Stewart of Outlier Capital. Garnett and I chat with him about Opportunity Zones. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining Garnett and Mark on the Innovation Podcast.
2: Visit innovationpodcast.co to subscribe and listen to other episodes. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key.
0: Go to TobaccoFreeCA.com to learn how to stay safe.